The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. Welcome into episode six of season four of the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson, coming to you from Drum Factory Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This week, we have part two of my interview with the legendary engineer and studio owner, John McBride. This week, we are continuing right where we left off last week with my interview with John. And John is the owner of Blackbird Studio in Nashville, Tennessee, and the founder of the Blackbird Academy, which is an incredible website, subscription-based website, where you can take courses and behind-the-scenes footage and check out some interviews with legendary musicians and artists and producers. It's a really fantastic resource. So go over to theblackbirdacademy.com to check that out. Now let's get right to it with my conversation with John McBride. And, do you, you do know. that as an engineer? Do you like every once in a while, like, I'm going to try a totally different setup for this this session? Yes, I'll do that. And does it is it inspiring as you end up going down the wrong path? I mean, what happens? You know, what will usually happen is if I, like, do a different mic setup on a kit, you know, to me, there's no better bass drum mic than an RCA 44, mm. an old rhythm mic. I swear to God, that thing has to record 10 cycles. I mean, it's unbelievable. Mm. And But the key is, you know, I'm usually 10 to 12 inches away from the, the head. I don't put it in front of, if there's a hole in the front head, I don't put it in front of that because you don't want wind hitting a, a ribbon because it can, you know, destroy the ribbon. So what I'll do is I'll have it 10 to 12 inches off on the left side if you're facing it if the hole's on the right side um and you cut some 200 cycles and boost some 50 and to me and i'm talking six eight db you know mm. a boost and cut flat on the top end and i hear that sound and i go if i looked up bass drum sound in the dictionary this is what i should hear uh, okay because, especially when it's like a 50s round badge 22 inch mm. three ply you know bass drum mm. that to me the the gretsch round badge from the 1950s that are three ply and these are things you learn as you do it mm. you know when i Open Blackbird, believe it or not, Vinny Caliuto was one of the first people in here. Mm. And I had gotten to know him a little bit because he was here a couple of weeks. And so I went to him towards the end of this session. I go, Vinny, what drums would I have to have to where you wouldn't even worry about bringing a kit? Ah, you know, John, some old Gretsch round badges. Okay, well, I, I didn't know shit about Gretsch round badges. Now I do. Mm. And, you know, the 60s are six-ply, and they have a sound, too. They're great. Different than the 50s that are three-ply, but the 50s 22-inch Gretsch round badge bass drum. If I had a Desert Island bass drum, that's it, you know? Mm. Do you and have I a, love their toms, too. I what do. about snare drum? Is there, like, your, your mm. Webster's Dictionary snare drum sound? You know... Maybe the closest thing to it might be <clears throat> a black beauty, maybe. If I was going to start in the neighborhood, mm -hmm. a black beauty is going to be in that neighborhood. 
although we have like a 1917 standard snare that ended up becoming the Black Beauty, mm. it's got magic to it. I'm so gear queer, it's ridiculous. You know, I love having either processing stuff <clears throat> or instruments or drums. We have 160 snare drums sitting on this big rack of stuff. And we'll have, on a typical session, we may use four or five different snare drums, depending on the song. Mm-hmm. You know, these players are so great and so advanced. They think we've actually set up three different kits in the in the tracking room. And the drummer would go from kit to kit to kit. Mm. Partly because that drummer already knew these songs and he knew what was right for each one, at least from a drummer's mentality point of view. And let me tell you, I understood it every time we changed to a different kid. Because mm. some things are aggressive, some, some things are just, you know, more laid back. Some things are are um, not angry, and some things are angry. Mm-hmm. And in and drums, there's no instrument that's going to influence what type of music you're doing than the drum sound. You know, drums are such an important part mm-hmm. of of the recording process because you know if you're doing a jazz record, you're not going to get a big bombastic double bass drum, fourteen toms, you know, twenty five cymbals. You know, I mean, you know, you're not going to do that, or you'll hit very little of it. Yeah, <laughs> but it, you know, anyway, it's just that when when people understand and they've done this long enough. And they become, for lack of a better word, a master of their craft. Then pay attention because this is a a school lesson right here, you know, Mm -hmm. when you're on that session. And he's going to go, you know, this snare isn't right for this, you know, and this song, I'm going to get one of the Keplinger snares. We have a Mm -hmm. lot of Keplinger snares. Greg Keplinger builds these snares out of iron, steel, and bronze. Stamped on the inside of everyone is not fragile. Yeah, not your jazz drum. (laughs) No. But you could jack up your bus, get a flat tire, and put that (laughs) snare drum underneath there to hold the bus up in a wood. But, uh... Well, don't try that. Just, <laughs> right. anyway. Greg's listening like, oh, I'll never give him another drum. <laughs> I think the unofficial uh, slogan of, of Keplinger drum snares is um, the snare drum guitar players hate because it's louder than the guitar rig. <laughs> <laughs> and let me tell you, we one time sent six or eight Keplinger snares out to L.A. for an Alice in Chains record or something. You know, just because they knew we had these, so, mm. and maybe they've used them before, maybe they haven't, but, you know, they took a nice variety out there. And, you know, all those things, you know, okay, I know that part of this conversation I'm going to talk about inside Blackbird, when you own a studio, you're going to try to figure out any possible way to create a little income and keep it open aside from booking a room, which is kind of the hardest part. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in a studio, you can book a room 
every day for a month. And then you could have 30 days of no income because that room, we just couldn't book it. And so I try to find other things to help add to the uh, bottom line that we can, you know, we can keep paying people. We can keep doing this. Mm -hmm. The studio hadn't been as busy, but fortunately we sold a few uh, plugins or, you know, we we have a rental department here at Blackburn, you know, because I always assumed if no one's here at the studio, they're recording somewhere because recording mm -hmm. is a, I don't know if I call it a disease, but it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. People love to record. And uh, if they're doing it at home, well, if we have a rental department, maybe we can make 20 bucks and, you know, pay whatever bill. We don't have any bills as low as 20, but, you know. <laughs> anyway. Lunch for the day, yeah. <laughs> so every five years or so, I'll try to take a bunch of steps back and look at my life and go, okay, this is going on and this is going on and this is going on. Why am I broke? And this is going on. <laughs> and, you know, and so from spending a lifetime on the road and in the studio a good 20 years now, 20 plus, um, what do people want? People want more access. Mm -hmm. And you especially see it on the road, like front row of a show. That's cool. But I'd rather be backstage. Yep, yep. You know, we want to be near, closer to whoever's selling that ticket. <clears throat> and so I thought, well, you know, I've got really great access to gear, to rooms, microphones, to players, producers, engineers, even songwriters, to other artists, to record labels, to PROs, to management companies, to booking agencies. There's really, I can usually get through to about anybody, hopefully, in, in, in the biz. Mm -hmm. So I thought we should film some videos. And this was before Masterclass mm -hmm. started. So I, I thought we should make videos about the whole record-making process, you know, Maybe create a curriculum around that and maybe license it to, like, colleges around the world. There's 9,000 mm -hmm. universities, you know, and uh, the vast majority have music programs. And I thought, if we could do that and make it great, it'll be evergreen because new kids are showing up every year and, you know, people are graduating. And that might be a really good idea. And as usual... My approach to life has kind of been ready, fire, aim, you know, <laughs> that's, you know, if I get buried, if, if I have a headstone, it should say that. <laughs> ready, that, fire, or, aim. I like yes. it. Yes. <laughs> Either that or I told you I was sick. But anyway, I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> uh, I love it. I, um, so we, you know. I had a couple of people that worked at the studio that had a little video experience. And we went out and we got some okay cameras and we, you know, started filming and, oh my God, it was crazy. Really? Mm -hmm. I really needed adult supervision. 
So we did that for about three years. We had no schedule, you know, when, 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 when we might shoot five videos in a week and then none for three months or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then getting them edited and all that. Oh, my God. And being a sound guy on the road, video people aren't your favorite people, you know, because <laughs> they're usually forcing you to move speakers you don't want to move or whatever. Anyway, <laughs> but now I've really begun to commiserate with video people and understand them better because, yeah. you know, it's a lot of pressure and it it is. But anyway, a couple of years ago. Okay, for two or three years, everyone around me was going, Masterclass had come out after we'd been doing this, and they're going, do a subscription, don't, don't do mm. this curriculum thing, you know? And finally I thought, ah, okay, you know, I don't know. But anyway, I started looking at our footage, and you know, while the content was great, it looked like crap. Oh, no. Not good enough. Uh, and if we're going to charge money, it better be as good or better than YouTube, you know, at least. Yeah, yeah. So, as usual, I kind of go all or none, you know. So, I go borrow more money, as always. I have an extremely high tolerance for risk. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I don't want to say it's a blessing, but I don't want to say it's a curse either. But... So then we went out and I bought, we bought a bunch of red cameras, you know, and we're mm. shooting everything in 6K now. And we bought cool lights and a jib and a dolly and dolly track. And, you know, and I, I'm starting to actually learn a couple of uh, video vocabulary words now, you know, you know, like, you know, when it comes to lighting and stuff, lighting people are, are either slightly above or slightly below my second hate you know I mean, <laughs> video people were the worst lighting people were the second worst on the road the set carps we love the audio people of course we love and our jaded audio engineer yes you can always do a concert without lighting oh man but you can't do a concert without that PA monitors, you know <laughs> That's why we're more important, even though video people make more money than all of us, but whatever. <laughs> so anyway, we, uh, <laughs> we uh, bought the right gear and started reshooting everything we'd ever done. Mm. And even then... What a project. We shot Al, Al Schmidt and Nico Bolas recording the Mavericks for three days during that early period. Al died in 2021, you know, at the 92 or 93 years old. The guy had the most incredible career. He's a Mount Rushmore engineer and producer for sure. The guy mm -hmm. is just could teach you more talking to him for five minutes about something than anyone else could. And... Um, so we started reshooting with the owl footage. We, we this was not going to be lost. We recolored and re-edited, and with even you know better technology now than there was four or five years ago, or even two or three years ago, we've made that footage fit right in, you know, with the other footage we have. So we've been. I've hired a full-time video crew. Um, 
you know, I think we have six or seven people here full time working mm. on video and trying to reshoot everything we shot the 300 videos we had shot that's <laughs> why oh it makes God. me sweat thinking about it because <laughs> you feel like you're at the at the base of you know the himalayas or some you know or you know oh <laughs> uh, you just go or mount everest and you're going how the fuck are we gonna get this done <laughs> and yet these people i've hired and they're incredible and they're great at what they do and they really make video people seem way more likable. <laughs> and so with this effort from, from, oh God, I just hit the mic, Jesus. And with this effort from these people, we have gotten everything basically reshot. And we've added many, many more subjects. Now, the other approach to Inside Blackbird that we've taken is we've it's almost maybe not smart but we're looking at every aspect from writing a song to getting the vinyl pressed and everything in between and then also touring most mm -hmm. you know a lot of my life i've been on the road and let me tell you there are some great characters and great people and man great things that happen that happen live and for the artist, it's still the best way to make money, you know? I mean, if you sold 10 million records, even 20 years ago, if you sold 10 million records, you might have made a buck a record or whatever, you know, maybe 10 million bucks. But touring, if you sold 10 million records, you could, at that point, you could probably make 500 grand a night and all of a sudden mm -hmm. you do 100 shows and there's $50 million and you're yep. going to net more than 10, I promise. Mm-hmm. And um, so touring has always been a great way to make a living. It's um, obviously you're out there promoting what you've done over your career and the latest record, I'm sure. And um, you also get to find out where all the good food is <laughs> around the country or even around the world, depending on your touring schedule, you know. The way I looked at it, the times I've been to Europe on a tour, I thought, I cannot believe I'm getting paid to do this. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievable. With the Blackbird Academy, our live program, 95% of our graduates are gigging. That's amazing. You know? And that's oh, a, what is that, a four-week program? No, it's it's six months. Six but months, it is okay. a very intense six months. I'd probably flunk the damn thing. You know? <laughs> I mean... You know, I've gotten, I'm kind of a briefcase guy in a way. I don't come in for load in or stay for load out. I, I would have been cussing me when I was growing up touring and everything. I'm uh -huh. like a briefcase guy, you know. <laughs> hey, you've earned it, though. <laughs> well, you know, I don't, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I probably had eight or ten different operations between a ruptured disc or a mm. slipped disc or knees or whatever, you know, I'm kind of, uh, I've lived my life hard enough that now I'm paying a little more attention to my health. Mm. <laughs> Forks Drum Closet, Nashville's full line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. 
Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instrument, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. Well, you're kind of you're kind of hitting on the, the theme of like do what you love, and you'll never work a day in your life. But yet, you keep adding more to your plate. <laughs> like, you know what? You're right, and I I'm out of my mind. And <laughs> But all those dumbass bumper sticker sayings, like do what you love and you'll never work a day in your they wouldn't be around if they weren't true. Right, right. That is the truth. I will never retire, never. I love my life. I get to go on tour. I still mix Martina Live. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the funny part is I could have had a career in mixing, being an independent engineer that goes out and does you know from the stones to you name it guys like dave natal who is honestly you'll rarely see dave and i in the same place at the same time because we just switch out uh he finishes my sentences and i finish his sentence Mm. and dave he spent his life on the road and is incredible at what he does. Another guy, Pab, you know, Paul Boothroyd, he has two main customers for the last 20, 30 years have been Paul McCartney and ACDC. How bad, bad is that? Not bad, not bad. <laughs> you know, not to mention he'll go fill in on Eric Clapton for two weeks for a friend of his or do this or do that. Pab is the English version of Dave and I. And he, he's so gifted, his ears are so good, and he's so great at what he does. And I love that guy, and I love going to shows he does, you know. And Dave also, I got to see Jeff Beck just a few months before he died um, here in Nashville. Um, Dave was mixing Jeff Beck, the Stones, but, you know, they don't tour all the time. He did 25 years with, with uh, Tina Turner. He, I mean, he makes Van Halen and Motley Crue, and you you know he was in the middle of a lot of rock stuff, and he's great at it. I mean, great. And you just love him because he is. You just can't not love him. I don't mm. know. He's got a great attitude. A little, maybe a little crusty. <laughs> How many years in before you get crusty? Well, yeah, <laughs> you know, I think it takes 30, 40, maybe. <laughs> but, you know, it's funny because touring in the 70s and 80s was the wild, wild west. Yeah, I can imagine. Touring today, it's still fun, but accountants have way too much say so, you know? <laughs> and accountants take all the fun out of everything. <laughs> what do you mean free tickets, you know? If we did that, then somebody added up, you know, somebody did a tour and they go, God, we ended up comping a thousand tickets and tickets were a hundred bucks. And that would have been a hundred grand of Mm. income we didn't get. So that is not going to happen anymore. Mm. Let's take all the fun out of it. Yeah. (laughs) 
But anyway, you know, there's not much Dave hasn't done or seen on the road since 1970-whatever. I think one of his first tours was Yes. Obviously, I interviewed him, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, so, and, you know, we have we have videos about motors, you know, about power, about electricity, about, you know, bus etiquette, you know. Mm, wow, you're you know, really getting things, into every aspect of it. You know, we really are. And But what we've done is we've created such a wide variety of stuff that we will never run out of ideas for things to film and talk about. A couple of weeks ago, we did a um, a little, uh, you know, it was probably an hour. I don't know how long the video is, but we compared guitar delays. Mm. We did an Echoplex and a Space Echo and an Echo Rec and a, I think it was a Guild... Uh, Oh my God. Copycat. Yeah. A Guild copycat. And then there was another unit, an Echo. Well, Echo Phonic. Yeah. Which was my second favorite. It's so cool. But, you know, good luck keeping it running, you know. And <laughs> Most of those are, are tape type machines. But oh, okay. the Echo Rec, which has a metal drum. And that was my favorite. Mm. And I guess there's a reason they cost five grand or whatever they oh, cost. Yeah, now. right. I've heard that they might re-release the Benson Echo Rec, which would be, oh, that'd be great. Mm. Because that thing will give you sounds on both guitar and on vocals that you just love. You know, Shaka Khan used one on her vocal on uh, Tell Me Something Good. Okay, there we go. You know, to go check that out again. Joe Walsh has used an Echo Rec, um, you know, on a lot of songs. And it's just got a sound. And you just go, I don't know why, but I'm all warm and fuzzy hearing that, you know? <laughs> so it's really, it's basically, it's education, but I, I call it edutainment because nothing's worse than turning on some video and you hear this robotic to solder this cable. We must, yeah. you know, and you're just going, I'm going to blow my brains out. This yeah. is horrible. Yeah. I want this to be enjoyable. Because I think we're in the era of there's no more lectures. No one wants to be lectured to anymore. <laughs> it just doesn't work. <laughs> you're, you, you know, you may be right. And, and if that's a good or a bad thing, I don't even know. <laughs> But if you want to learn more about the process, and also I'll do diaries on Inside Blackbird where I talk, the, they average an hour or longer, where in essence, I'll sit down with like Billy Corgan. Okay, you're born, now you're here. What the hell happened in between? Mm. And you start seeing these patterns as you interview more and more people. And the mindset that it, takes to get successful obviously there's talent involved but i mean you know if you practiced your guitar eight hours a day for five years you may not be the next eddie van halen but that's pretty much what he did mm -hmm. or more years than that even 
I heard an interview with him once where he said, anybody can play like me. You just have to practice eight hours a day for 10 years. Or, <laughs> and you know what? And have the vision. That still the isn't true. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say that uh, Eddie Van Halen, when he was born, God went, you play guitar next. You know, and a little keyboard, too. Anyway. He and I, I actually share birthdays, about. believe it or not. Oh, that's awesome. Man. Yeah, he took all the talent, unfortunately. Oh, I, I doubt that. <laughs> I think there's more where that comes from. Anyway, but I, we I love we've it. gone well over an hour, so I don't want to take up oh, shit. too much more of your time. I well, appreciate you know what? You. Have we said anything important yet? <laughs> well, I had 15 questions, and I don't think we got to any of them. And that's my favorite type of interview to well, wear. Give me, give me one. Let's get at least one. Okay. Well, let's kind of send it off with this. So we're. I want all of our listeners to go check out. Blackbird InsideBlackbird.com. That's that's a subscription base where you'll be updating with content regularly. There's some drum specific stuff. There's all kinds of other. In just There's a lot of record. drums, a uh, lot of drums. Yeah, so I didn't I didn't even want to dig into that because it's all there and it's really great. And then anyone who wants to go to the academy can can look into that. Um, so let's talk about someone who just needs who's looking to get into doing recording. Yes, as a drummer at home. Yes. What should they do first? Okay. Well, practice first, obviously. <laughs> right. I mean, and don't stop practicing because you will learn as a player your whole life also. Mm -hmm. But um, <clears throat> we love drums. It's shocking I'm not a drummer because we have 65 kids here and... Mm -hmm. Paul Simmons, who is our kind of production manager at the studio, is a great drummer. I actually worked with him like almost 40 years ago. He was playing for, I think, Black Oak, Arkansas or somebody. He did a lot of years with the Reverend Horton Heat. And Paulie is just a great player. I, he goes out when Gene Simmons does solo dates and plays for mm. him, you know. And cool. Anyway, Paulie's been there, done that. And has a heart of gold and the greatest attitude you'll ever find. You know, he's just one of those guys. And um, what I would do, we did we did a couple of videos, um, miking a drum kit with an unlimited budget, and miking a drum kit on a very tight budget. Mm -hmm. And the results, I'm kind of pissed off to say. For about three grand one-time investment, you can get six SM57s, a DAW of some sort, maybe some mic stands in there, you know. But you could have an incredible drum sound, and you can get it out of six SM57s and a DAW. Mm -hmm. Now, I understand that most of our people that want to watch are probably younger and learning and broke because yep. I don't know how anybody survives today with what's happening. Go ahead, Matt, if you want to do that. <clears throat> Just force another edit. Okay, the door shut. Um, but, <laughs> you know, and yes, we have these great rooms and this and that. But the reality is most kids are going to be recording 
in, the, in their parents' basement or maybe the garage mm-hmm. or their buddy's house or whatever. And it was shocking to me how close we, how great we could get six SM57s through a DA mm. to sound. As I said, I was bothered a little bit, you know, because we had two, three hundred gram worth of mics on a kit. <laughs> of course. Going through it and Neve console, you know, and, and yes, you can get a more pristine or better sound out of that. Of course you can, but it's within a few percentage points of quality with mm. the inexpensive setup. And the inexpensive setup is probably what 98% of the people that are watching this are going to use, mm-hmm. but it can happen, you know, first off, you know, have be trained or, or be a good drummer. I mean, 90% of the sound of any kit that you're going to hear it's dependent upon who's playing it. Mm-hmm. You could take three great drummers and put them on any kit. And as a listener, you're going to go, oh, that's obviously Vinny Caliuto. That's obviously Steve Jordan, you know, mm-hmm. because so much of the sound is in your fingers and your toes and your heart, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, John Bonham could take pots and pans, make them sound pretty great. Mm-hmm. But so could Eddie Bears, so could, you know, lots of drummers today, Shannon Forrest and, oh my God, Chad Cromwell, it just, the list goes on and on. And, you know, guys like, you know, from LA, from the, the uh, wrecking crew, mm-hmm. forget it. These drummers, going to make anybody something keltner you know i mean it's just crazy you know uh how important that is but when you get a great drummer and a great drum sound who that's the thing that changes the world a little bit or really inspires you you know so don't chase the gear chase the sound in your hands to get your touch together is that what we're getting at yes it's kind of like Mastering. Mastering is 90% the person and Mm. 10% the gear. Now, learning great gear is fun and you understand why people use a Fairchild compressor or even an LA-2A or a retro reissue of the stay level which is my favorite compressor for bass guitar. And what I did, I went through 20, 30 different compressors and played the same bass part over and over and just listened to what the compressor was doing. And now, I, even when I mix live, I've got a stay level out there on the, on the bass guitar. Mm-hmm. And I'm in 10 to 20 dB of compression all the time. But it doesn't sound compressed. Mm-hmm. But it does give me just this perfect. Things aren't dropping out. Things aren't poking out. You know. Mm-hmm. And that's just a trick you learn after you've been doing it a while. So, 
and we'll compare plugins to the real piece of gear. Some are close and some aren't. Mm -hmm. But even the ones that aren't, they have a certain sound, a certain thing, and that might work for you, you know? The way I see it is gear, yeah, those are colors on the palette. Microphones, same thing. I want to give the producer, artist, and engineer every color on the palette when they come here to record. Not everybody is like Brian Wilson where they hear the whole song complete in their head before they've laid down a note, you know? What a gift that is. That mm. guy is one of the true geniuses. But they have a pretty good idea of what they want to do. And we want to give them the tools they need to make that happen. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, as I mentioned earlier, emotionally crippled, if someone came here and recorded and wasn't happy, I would need more therapy. I would, I would, I, I, I would, oh, I would be miserable. <laughs> and I don't know. So no bad reviews for Blackbird, right? <laughs> oh, man. I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse, you know? Mm. Because some people are never going to be happy with anything in their mm. lives. <laughs> but, you know, you run into those type people less and less because people don't want to be around negativity really, mm -hmm. at the end of the day. It's uh, life's too short to deal with assholes, I think. Truth. You Truth. Know, I really do. And man, the older you get, you know, the less patience I have for drama, you know, or unnecessary drama, I should say. Mm -hmm. You know, that just, nah. <laughs> Dig that. Anyway, but uh, drums, I would, I would, if you want to record, and that's important to you, for probably three grand or under, you can go buy a DAW. You can buy the SM57 is about a hundred dollar mic. You could probably find it on sale for less than that even. It is a good guy mic. Those 421s, SM7s. I love SM7s. They're three or four hundred bucks, and they're about ten percent within 10% of a Telefunken 251, which will cost you 30, 40 grand these days, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. But an SM7 with a Telefunken V76, which is a tube pre, it's kind of expensive. And they don't make them anymore, but it'll never get cheaper. Mm -hmm. So I got so lucky that I bought, you know, I, I love microphones and I'd buy mics every chance I got a couple of years ago friend of mine goes, man, you're a genius. Buy all those mics because they've gone. I go, yeah, genius had nothing to do with it. I got lucky <laughs> that something I love is getting more expensive. <laughs> right. That's all that is. I mean, I'm Wise not going to take credit yeah. <laughs> for, for things that really. But you know, do you ever sell anything is the question. You know, I do. And I hate to even admit it because I hate selling anything. <laughs> and I always regret it. I don't. Oh. 
That's what my, because I told my wife at one point, well, this is an investment, you know, and she goes, it's not if you don't sell anything. <laughs> it's true, <You> though. <laughs> oh, it's true. Of course it is. It is. And it kills me. But you know what? Hey, there's times you got to make payroll. You haven't made enough money. You got to figure it out. We're going to have to sell this or sell that, you know, and ah, you hate it. Because you know, well, especially if it's a shining example of, well, I have a couple of U-47s. I will not sell. Mm. I just won't. I mean, I would, you know, mortgage my daughter or something. <laughs> I'd find a way, you know, I'd find a way not to have to sell that mic. Uh -huh. We have a U-47 number 193. George Massenberg himself said, that is the finest example of a U-47 I have ever heard. And coming from George Massenberg, I'm paying attention. You yeah. Know? And um, a 251 number 584, that's Martina's vocal mic. That's the one I let Cheryl Pro mm. use. And guess what? It was a three-week rental, so we can redo all the vocals. And I get it. That one was just made on a Friday when they had a three-day weekend. And the planets were all lined up. <laughs> you know, it just happens. Because it's an export version also, so it's got a 60-72 tube instead of an AC-701, which was in the Telefunken 251s that stayed in Germany. And uh, generally speaking, the AC-701 is a superior tube to the 6072. But let me tell you, Not that enough. particular 251 has a 6072, and it sounds better than any 251 I've ever heard. There you go. And we got a bunch of them. And <laughs> they're great. We got a bunch of 47s. They're great. Those are good guy studio mics. Mm -hmm. You know, 57 is a good guy mic live or studio, anywhere you are. You see people do vocals on them. They've been on bass drums. They're on snares anyway. 99% mm. of the snares you've ever heard recorded were probably an SM57. Right. And then, you know, they, you just, you need those good guy mics that that work in any situation, you know? The 421, you know? Mm. First Telefunken, now Sennheiser, 421. That mic is great on pretty much anything I've ever put in them. And, you know, and they're a little more expensive than a, than a 57. You know, they're probably 350. I don't know what they cost. I should look, but. So you would the put the 57s is, as overheads, like the whole thing. You know, we have. And guess what? Sounds good. It's. It might need a little EQ, maybe. I don't like to use EQ unless I have to. I like to move the mic first, mm -hmm. find the right spot. And then if I have to, and with the 57, I would have to do a little EQ. Obviously, I'd rather have C12s or, or KU3As, uh, the ribbons. Most English engineers like ribbons for overheads. Most Americans use condensers. Mm. I've, I was a condenser guy forever. Now I'm 
kind of a ribbon guy because that KU3A to me is probably my favorite ribbon microphone of all. Mm. And, you know, the KU3A, last time Boss Cax was here, he did vocals for a new record on a KU3A. And it has a sound. And it's great. And, you know, we go a little down the rabbit hole sometimes. Mm. But we're also good at <clears throat> helping to, like, Tom Bukovac, how do I not get screwed when I buy a guitar? I need to know this. <laughs> you know, this is real life. We need to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm actually on an SM7 today. I just... That sounds good, yeah. <laughs> you know what? It sounded okay, so I didn't have to look at it. I don't care. That sounds fine. What's the best mic to use? I don't know. What's closest? Let's yeah, try right. that, you know? Because that's reality. But, you know, in a perfect world, like, I have 67s on the toms. I got the K, I got the RCA 44 on the bass drum and an SM91 inside it. And mm -hmm. That way I have to use less EQ because if I want it brighter, I get to bring up the 91. If I want it bigger, big note, well, the 44. And, you know, we use, I think we did C12s and KU3As on overheads on the unlimited budget thing. And then room mics, M50s in a decatree pattern or whatever, you know, and and uh, with all that, you know, it sounded better than 657s through a DAW, but not a lot better. Mm -hmm. The 657s through a DAW sounded really great. <laughs> they really did. And, you know, again, Paulie was playing drum. That helps. Oh, yeah, yeah. That guy yeah. sounds good, you know, through anything, you know, anytime. That's funny. I almost end every episode of the show saying, and now just go practice. That's the only thing that really matters. <laughs> Truer words were never spoken, though. You know? It's yeah. so true. You know, Vinny, Vinny Caliuto never ceases to amaze me. He could sit there and read a book while he's recording a song. You know, the guy just had a natural affinity or whatever for for playing drums mm -hmm. and and oh my god and he studied you know he listened to a lot of jazz records or a lot of different drummers growing up and you know he he could read he could do whatever i mean and one time i remember faith hill was making a record here at blackbird and Vinny discovered these uh really thin I don't know if they were Zildjian's or Pisces or whatever I think they were Zildjian's uh, these really thin symbols and we set them up for him and he started doing these pattern stuff changed the whole song mm. man just made it better mm -hmm. and I remember Faith going God Vinny played these symbols and the whole song got better and you go, that's what I live for. You know, if there's a way that we can help make something come to fruition, something you love, mm. that's that's really important to me. You know? It's funny, I got to tell you another thing. Val Garay. Val Garay did a lot of Linda Ronstadt and James Taylor and made hundreds of records and was incredible. Train Nico. And Nico is a very influential person in inside the business, you know? He's had more therapy than anyone I know. 
but he paid attention and, <laughs> you know, I'll call him and go, wah, 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 and he'll go, dude, get a piece of paper, put a line down the middle, put the good shit on the left and the bad shit on the right, see which list is longer. In other words, <laughs> shut the fuck up, life's hard, get a helmet, you know? I dig it. <laughs> there, that, that could be maybe the best lesson to learn. <laughs> get a helmet. No. Attitude is 99% of the gig. That's my favorite. Second mm. might be good is the enemy of great. And mm. it is. We're tempted to take good. Good gets no one's attention. You know, great gets everybody's attention. Mm. So those things, and the harder you work, the luckier you get. These are all bumper stickers in a way. Yeah, yeah. But I won't lie. I live my life that way. By yeah. it, you know? I mean, I pay attention to that. You know, on the back of our t-shirts, it says either you rock or you suck. Now, that sounds aggressive and a little, maybe a little confrontational or whatever. But in all honesty, all it means is, if you're going to do something, just do it right. Yes. Yeah. That's all. And it's hard to do it right. Yeah. You know, the last 5% <clears throat> of improvement costs the same as the first 95%, you know, in a mm -hmm. way. But when you get 100%, Everybody pays attention. You know, it, it works. And I just want, you know, if all I did starting out, and I felt this way then, if my only contribution to great music was providing a room for someone in which to record, then I'm okay with that. Mm. Because 100 years from now, that song is still going to be played. Now, fortunately, I've gotten to engineer. I've gotten to do this, gotten to do that. And that's all fine and good. But honestly, it's serving music is really our goal and our purpose, you know? Mm -hmm. And inside Blackbird can give someone, it could save someone years, years of practical experience. If you've ever wondered, you know, what does a production manager do? What does a, you know, a monitor engineer do? What does a band tech do? What, does, you know, what, what are all these different jobs, you know? But you know what? You want to be on a tour and make a lot of money? Drive the bus. <laughs> or bus own, drivers. The, own the bus. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that could help too. But bus drivers are probably maybe in the top three or four positions for making money, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's a tough gig. If that's your but... only motivation is to make some money you know, yeah. and be around music, I guess you could do that. <laughs> and a great bus driver is worth their weight in gold. I mean, they are. You know, yeah. plus it's another position that can be male, female, whatever. It doesn't matter. You either have that, you know, a smooth ride. Oh, my God. Mm. Makes all the difference. And a rough ride. Yeah, I don't care how nice the bus is. That's a hell of a metaphor. Let's end it on that because that could be related to everything. everything. <laughs> That's a fact. I'm the first guy. That he's really going to cut off because I won't shut the fuck up. 
I just want you to be able to go do what you need to do. I know you've got a hundred things waiting oh. for you. <laughs> yeah, but now I'm I'm so comfortable sitting here. Fuck everything else. You know? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Actually, we you know we've got some video shoots coming up. They're going to be great. But you know what? Here we've just tried to do it right. I feel like anyone who has any interest in music, both as a player, an engineer, whatever you want to do that you want to produce eventually, or if you just want to learn more about, you know, different artists from Yellow Wolf to Garth Brooks to Billy Corgan to, and the list will be added too. We're going to release two new videos a week, a hundred new videos a year. That way, you don't feel like you're not getting enough new input. And I'm also can't wait to start getting more feedback from the audience about what you want to see. Because mm -hmm. chances are, we know someone that can talk about it. That's amazing. It, thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, thank you for doing all this. It's, it's I mean... We are lucky these this day and age to have access to this stuff. So, I've heard that comment from people that get inside. They go, "Man, I grew up in Ohio, you know, thirty years ago or whatever. None of this was available. Nothing. And now yeah. we're all an open book in a way. Or I am. I'm yeah. not gonna. I'm not gonna be one of these guys who goes, "Fuck that kid." You know, they can learn their own way. No, you know what? Here's what worked for me. If you like that sound, there you go. Yeah, right. You know, it's fun. Make some art. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Because <laughs> that's why we're alive, to appreciate great music and even not great music. But that part of life is important to me, the left brain or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. so. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I want to sign it off here. Thank you so, so, so much. Thank you. And that is it for my interview with John McBride. Special thanks to everyone at Blackbird Studio and Blackbird Academy for being so accommodating. And make sure you go to theblackbirdacademy.com to check out the site. And if you enjoy the show, give us a five-star rating, give us a review, drop some comments, share the post with your friends. Um, all of that does a lot to help this show rank higher, and we want every drummer around the world to be checking it out each week, so we need you to help out for that. And if you want to reach me, you can get me at drumcandypodcast.gmail.com. Make sure you're subscribed to the Drum Factor Direct YouTube channel and following us on Instagram. Other than that, go play some drums, have fun, and we'll see you next week.